Welcome to the Xterra Podcast. I'm Tom Patton. The Xterra mission is to explore and discuss the business of space and its effect on the national and global economy as well as life on Earth. How does what happens in space affect your life every day? That's what we're exploring on the Xterra website as well as on this podcast. My guest is Aaron Burnett, founder and CEO of Spaced Ventures. And Aaron, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Tom. Thanks for having me. I'm looking Pleasure. forward to it. Pleasure is all mine. Thank you for joining me today. So first of all, let's just start out talking about what is Spaced Ventures and what do you do? Yeah, so Spaced Ventures is uh, uh, the world's largest community of space investors. And so what we are doing is trying to uh, bring awesome you know, really high quality space uh, investment opportunities to the public. So we are open to accredited as well as uh, non-accredited investors, which is a kind of a cool way of democratizing uh, access to space investing and uh, hopefully, you know, changing the future for the better. Explain to us a little bit what is uh, the difference between an accredited and a non-accredited uh, investor? Yeah, so this is the this is the big one, right? Um, you know, if you've ever gone to if you if you're interested in investing, you've probably poked around and looked at you know private investment opportunities or typed in something like how do I invest in SpaceX, uh, you know, type of thing into Google. Uh, the reality is is that most of those opportunities are um, locked uh, only for accredited investors. So this is back from the 30s, I think. That you know, it's like a hundred year old rule um, that. Um, Investing in private companies is only allowed for accredited investors. Um, and that's, this is an old, old rule. And really, this was designed to protect people because there was a lot of snake oil salesmen saying, hey, invest in this company. Uh, and then they'd walk away and all you had was a piece of paper, right? Um, and so there, this was really designed to protect people uh, and allow only sophisticated uh, folks to be able to make those investments, meaning people that could afford to lose the money. Right. And okay. so that's what an accredited investor is. Uh, by definition, there's a legal definition. Essentially, you know, you need to have a million dollars in net worth. And there's other ways of measuring it. You need to have a decent amount of money, um, a good chunk of money to be able to be considered an accredited investor or have there's some FINRA licenses you can get now to be an accredited investor. So most opportunities have been accredited only when you're talking about private space or any company, you know, private company. Um, otherwise, if you want to do trading and things like that uh, for investing, you need to do public companies. Um, and as we know, I think the private equities market is something like 6.5 trillion. So there's a lot of opportunities there to invest uh, that are just locked to non-accredited investors in most cases. Give us a little bit about your background. How did you get, in, how did you get into this? Yeah, it's a, a little bit of a, a, a non-traditional story because it's you know in aerospace normally it's someone who's coming from an engineering background of some kind um, or technical science or you know physics kind of background. Myself, I come from marketing and community building. Uh, that's my that's my you know professional background. Uh, as a kid, you know I loved I loved uh, science fiction shows. I think uh, the show I grew up watching was. Stargate SG-1 with my dad uh, and my brother. That was a big one. Um, who knows if that's real? Maybe there are Stargates lying around. I guess we'll just, well, we'd have to keep our minds open. But, um, you know, that was the thing that I always grew up watching and, and enjoying. I think my first ever thing about space was like Space Camp, you know, um, sending Max into space or whatever. That, that was a fun uh, video back in the day. But you know, I, I was fairly, you know, I wanted to do astronaut when I was really young, but I got quickly disillusioned. I, you know, 
this is prior to Google, so I don't know what it, how I figured out <laughs> oh, you had to have 2020 vision or whatever. It was fairly fairly exclusive kind of club. Basically, be um, a fighter pilot. <laughs> yes, and I said I don't, I don't think that's me. Um, so you know, if I'm going to space, there'll be some other way, or we'll figure it out. But essentially, what I did is I bifurcated my mind. Here, here's fun stuff that I do, like science fiction. I did. This is for escapism, and then in real life is kind of boring, and essentially. And so I'd had that men that mentality and that worldview for a long time, um, and then uh, I saw the Falcon Heavy take off, mm -hmm. and so the Falcon Heavy, the initial one with the Tesla on top, I saw it on the live stream with millions of other people, um, and that just you know this this nicely bifurcated uh, mentality they had with science fiction over here and you know you know real life over here. Uh, just came crashing together because this was clearly science fiction that I was seeing on the screen. This was like a future that is really exciting and cool, but how could that be happening now? Because that's not real. Um, so I had to figure out a way to get involved in some way. So I had, uh, you know, my background, professional background is community building and marketing. Uh, I actually have been investing since I was uh, 12. <laughs> I have a brokerage account since I was 12 custodial, right? My mom opened it up right. uh, for me and she's like, hey, you should, you should check this out. This is kind of cool. This is right in the bubble. And so um, essentially what happened was, um, you know, I had these two kind of things, you know, interests and experiences in my, in my background that I think now feel kind of linear and obvious, you know, in the moment, it didn't seem obvious. It took me far too long to realize, well, maybe I should figure out a way to get space investing for large groups of people. Um, but yeah, that's really the background and, and kind of the quick backstory of how that came about. Well, to to contrast, my my science fiction growing up was uh, Lost in Space and Star Trek, the original Star Trek. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> kind of gives you a gives you an idea of where my history is. I was actually down at the Cape um, for the initial the the very first Falcon Nine launch. I, I watched that in person. Awesome. And that was, it was one of those things where we thought it was going to get scrubbed. They launched it, I think, on the last five seconds of the launch window, but uh, that's all, all parenthetical. <laughs> but it was a lot of fun to be there. Let's talk a little bit about Regulation CF and tell us how that factors into what you do. Yeah, so, um, you know, there are, when you know, this comes back, we're talking about public uh, uh, companies versus private companies, right? So mm. the, that's a good way of thinking about it. In the private company space, if you're raising money with investments, you have to follow certain exemptions so that you aren't considered a public company and have all these rules to follow, right? So um, most public, most private companies will be raising uh, investment money from, you know, a variety of different sources, whether that's, you know, really rich individuals or family offices or what have you, venture capitalists that are obviously the big one, but they all use um, a, a regulation called Regulation D in most cases. I say all, it's always like, you know, an asterisk. Most people use this mm -hmm. um, to be able to have, uh, to be able to raise and fundraise on there. It's really what the, the lawyers care about. Uh, most of the people fundraising don't maybe not even know that they're doing it. Um, the lawyers will then file that exemption once they're closing their funds and then it's all happening. So there is another uh, exemption called Regulation CF. So it's only been in existence for um, six years as far as like actually being operation in operation. But back in 2012, I believe, the Obama administration saw what was happening with Kickstarter and all these crowdfunding platforms and said, you know, there's opportunity here um, for these, these companies are kind of taking advantage of the public, like they get money up front and then they sell for $3 billion. That'd be a nice way for the public to have maybe benefited from that. Why are we locking them out? And so they created this regulation. Um, but Regulation CF 
has its own set of rules that are different from the rules for Regulation D, um, but you still get to stay private as a company, right? So there's benefits, so you don't have to follow all the list of rules for the public uh, company listings and things like that. So that's the way Regulation CF uh, kind of lays out in the in the broad scope. But the key differentiator for investors is that the Regulation CF investments allows non-accredited investors to invest. So is based investments uh, mostly um, mostly dealing in crowdfunding? Yes, yeah. So we, you know, we'll have more opportunities at some point down the line here. But yes, most of it will operate underneath. Right now, all of it operates underneath the regulation crowdfunding exemption, um, which allows for anyone to invest. Um, that's um, you know, a U.S. citizen or person. Technically, anyone in the world could invest. Uh, there's all sorts of international rules that start to come up. Um, but you know, there are, uh, yeah, that, that's the way this will mostly operate under is the regulation crowdfunding exemption. Um, and they're considered distinct rounds from a legal perspective. It's a crowdfunding round, if you will. So how much money can be raised by a company? Uh, companies can raise up to $5 million per year. So um, what you've seen is uh, over time, if you, I mean, in theory, every year people can open up. Uh, there tends to be certain rules and regulations that create some interesting kind of seasonalities around that. But <laughs> so what one of those seasonalities is that every April, there tends to be a big spike in deals because it's right at the end of the prior years, like window for financials and things mm -hmm. like that. And then May and June tend to be a little bit of a dip uh, and then starts to build back up towards the end of the year. Um, so there's, so you see a lot of people coming back to that well uh, to, to raise with folks. Um, so yeah, you can raise up to $5 million per year underneath that exemption. When you look at companies uh, that you want to get involved with, as far as your, your company is concerned, how do you vet them? How do you, how do you make a determination that this is a company that we, that we want to help raise funds that's not going to be like the, uh, I'll harken back to the days in Florida when people were selling swampland with, you know, visqueen on top of it to make it look like there was a paved road. <laughs> yes. Uh, so, there is a lot of that in the industry. So the, the, the great side of space is super inspiring and, and exciting. The downside of space is there's a lot of charlatans and people that understand that and will put the space pixie dust on anything to make it seem like way more interesting. So there is a lot of that. So, you know, our process is quite selective. Uh, we do not take everyone, you know, one easy limiter is like, do you operate in space? Yes or no. Um, so we, you know, you, I can't make this promise because I just don't know what the future looks like, but I really have no intention of ever having like a, you know, a, a craft beer company or something on the platform, right? Like that's not going to happen because we do have that kind of limitation, of course, and that's kind of obvious. But then there's also limitations that happen in a variety of different categories. One is a, a business review, right? Do, does this company look like they actually have a real business in place or have talk, really talked to customers, have validated that there even are customers out there? And there is a technical review. And uh, people far smarter than myself are doing these reviews, by the way. We have right now about, I think it's 25 in the 20s, uh, number of people that uh, help us look at different companies. We try and get at least three to five eyeballs on any given deal at any given time. So it's not biased by just one person's opinion. Um, and so essentially, there's that business review, there's a technical review. The technical review is really focused on snake oil. There's some people that say, does, if it breaks the law of physics, maybe you can't get it in. You know, some people say, as long as it doesn't break two laws of physics, you know, it's a good idea. It, it's potentially a good idea, right? So this is where um, 
it's kind of the way we, we do that. Really what we're trying to create is the minimum bar for the space industry, right? Because there's plenty of data out there that suggests that if you're doing angel investing in private companies and you need to, every, every investor needs to be thinking about um, companies in the in, private investing is like a portfolio theory mindset, meaning you need 20 companies because 15 of them could be totally bankrupt, right? Don't put all your eggs in one basket. You really need to diversify. So in a portfolio theory mindset, the biggest thing you need is to always, you always really want to find the winner, right? <laughs> the one that right. really goes up to offset all those losses, right? So if we can set the minimum bar for the industry, which is really what we're trying to do, and that means keeping out the, the charlatans, the snake oil salesmen and things like that, if we can uh, set that minimum bar, then the idea is that we would want to invest at least a little bit in all of these companies because we believe there's a winner in here, uh, right? right. To offset all the losses. Of course, there's a very strong chance that a good percentage, as much as 50 to 70% based on VC standards, right? These are people who do this for a living, not even individual investors, right? right. They will lose, like they'll make bets on companies that more than 50% of them go totally bankrupt. This, sure. this, there's numbers out there for this. this is a, you, you can Google it, right? Um, so with that whole thing in mind, right? It kind of gets back to this idea of how, you, how we do vetting is really minimum bar setting. Um, trying to allow for people to feel like there's confidence that they can put a little bit in all the companies on the platform if they if they really felt convicted about the industry um, or pick the winners they felt that were there too as well. So that's kind of the way we we do our, our, our setting. And then there's additionally, on top of all that, there's a minimal compliance requirement. So bad actor checks, very simple stuff um, that is all the platforms do, <laughs> all the right. other stuff we're really the only ones doing that and our end because we're so focused on space and really worried about finding a charlatan coming through the platform. We've, we've often kind of equated where space commerce is right now with Silicon Valley in the 19, late 1970s, early 1980s. And there's going to be a big weeding out process. There's, they're going to be thousands of these companies. And as you said, a lot of them are going to go bankrupt. A lot of them are going to get bought up by somebody else, but that shakeout has not happened yet in space commerce, from our view, anyway. Where we have a very similar opinion on that. There's probably, and this is a guesstimate because no one can really tell the future, but there's probably going to be a lot of consolidation over the next five years, right, of people mm -hmm. that have made the, the best computer or the best gas tank or whatever it is, right? They will be bought up and, and pulled into bigger companies. There's always these, 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 these tendencies in the markets to have these, um, you know, decentralizations and then recentralizations where they consolidate and there's a few big players and then they kind of, maybe, maybe it gets shaken up again and they break out into a few more, right? So this is kind of a natural pattern in the way markets evolve. Um, so I think we still have that consolidation phase in front of us. So that actually gives me a little bit more optimism that there's probably going to be, I, there's probably going to be a lot of those on the platform that actually have a successful exit, right? It may not be the hundred X or a thousand X return that, you know, we really want, but getting a five or 10 X return is definitely not the worst thing, right? And it offsets a lot of potentially other losses, right? So um, that's, yes, I 100% I agree. I'm talking with Aaron Burnett, founder and CEO of Spaced Ventures. Take a moment right now and click on subscribe to be sure you don't miss any of our podcasts or if you're watching on YouTube, any of the videos from Xterra, the Journal of Space Commerce. Aaron, with these current economic conditions uh, from COVID, the inflation is going through the roof right now, and just a lot of general angst among the, uh, the population, 
Do you think crowdfunding is going to be helped or hurt by these conditions? So here's the thing. We have we have no historical data to point back to. Uh, you know, crowdfunding has been around for, like I mentioned, six years. Um, mm -hmm. There was no real recession. We had the bump of COVID to look at, but that was that initial kind of, you know, trough that we had where there was some tightening of the markets for like three months. Um, but that it's not really enough. There's not really enough to point to uh, to say that crowdfunding is going to be hurt. In fact, crowdfunding grew during that time. There was not, they were going the opposite way. The rest of the markets are. But again, it's three months. There's not enough really to know. Um, so it's really 100% conjecture at this point. Having said that, right? Uh, you know, the thought process and the logic behind this is the benefit of having access to way, way more people is that you have way, way more opportunities for different sorts of, you, you reduce your risk in any one specific person, right? Because there's a lot of things that can happen. If one person can get sick, they need all their money for medical bills, right? And they're not no longer giving you money for whatever, or their, you know, their, their personal financial situations got tightened because they had more of their money in crypto. I'm just, you know, making stuff up at this point, but right. those are all risks if you put all your eggs in any one basket so the more people you have the logic would follow that you do have more opportunity and the check sizes are far lower so people that do still have the opportunity to make investments at a hundred or a thousand dollars logic would say that there's more opportunities for them to still be able to make those investments and then they would they would be less impacted totally hard to know it's totally impossible to know how exactly that works i would suspect some impact i would just expect a lot less of an impact plus the other thing is we tend to focus on earlier stage companies, mm -hmm. and this is much smaller valuations from the get-go. These aren't the hyperinflated ones of late stage private equity where there are hundreds of millions or, or billions of dollars in the valuation stages. Now we're talking sub 10 million in many cases uh, mm -hmm. valuation. So when you're operating on the lower end, there's just less to compress, right? <laughs> you're right. not gonna, going to zero just doesn't quite make sense. They're probably going from 10 million down to 8 million or whatever, right? Uh, so there's still gonna be opportunities. We're still seeing deals get done across venture. Uh, they're just going slower. So I think that it's still gonna happen. We just may need to see more people, uh, you know, uh, just to get the opportunities in front of more people so that, you know, people that are negatively impacted by the economy, you know, will bow out and people that are more fortunate and don't have that negative impact will be able to, you know, make up for it. You mentioned cryptocurrency. What's what's the role of crypto in crowdfunding right now? And does it have a good future? So the role of crypto and crowdfunding is they're really mutually exclusive as of this okay. stage. So the SC, the SEC uh, is um, very, you know, they're really trying to figure out where they're going to land on that. And crowdfunding is a very tightly regulated space by the SEC and FINRA. So um, yeah, the SEC still is really trying to figure out is crypto even a security? Does it fall under our jurisdiction? I think in general, in generally, in most cases, they love to have more opportunity to regulate. So they're probably going to try and make that argument. Right now, you can invest in, in crowdfunding through crypto, but Functionally, the way it works technically is you're really just converting it to USD and then turning it over into um, you know more of a standard ownership document in in a company, right? So there is and there isn't. Um, so from a from like a legal and technical perspective, essentially mutually exclusive. From a opportunity perspective, as far as the way mentality happens with 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 investors as they evolve in these markets. We see a lot of interest from crypto investors because they have a 
very far future forward looking mentality, right? So yes, a lot of, there's tends to be quite a bit of overlap between a, uh, someone who loves the idea of crypto and holds Bitcoin or Ethereum and, and these others, um, and really thinks space is awesome and wants to see that happen too. Right. Because really that's about investing in the future you want to see rather than just investing strictly for an ROI, right? So you want the ROI, right? You want that return on investment, but I would like that return on investment plus the future that I want to see happen, not just the return on investment and more, um, I don't know, more fossil fuel or whatever it is that you think is n not good status quo, right? So um, that's kind of the nature of that investor. And that's the type of person, like very high level that I think exists on our platform, tends to have a lot of overlap with crypto groups. Does the, the current decline in crypto value uh have a big effect on things uh, if people are investing using crypto you're converting it to us dollars what is what does that mean in the in the crowdfunding space yeah i think it definitely has an impact uh there's just no way that it doesn't right it depends on how people are investing in the past now there what i mentioned about this mentality that are uh, the investors we've seen have um they also have there's also some that think i would never have taken money out of bitcoin ever because it's the ultimate investment right and so <laughs> they were kind of tight with their money as well so you do have a little bit of that back and forth my gut says they probably all kind of level out i would assume the general pullback means people are just less likely to take high risk investment that's what happens in market downturns you know risk offsetting money goes from riskier stuff more towards the uh, more safe stuff as the as the, the interest rates are increasing. Um, so with that, all, with that all said, yes, I think it has an impact. I don't know that it's any more of an impact than what's happening in just in general with the markets. Um, we just have to see, and uh, we'll go from there. What are the, some of the companies that you've funded so far that have, that have worked through your system? Yeah, so we've got successfully funded, we've had four that were successfully funded so far. We're only at five. We have a sixth coming out soon, and seventh. You know, so we're still building that pipeline up. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, let's see. We had four come out. We had uh, let's see. The most recent one was Zeros. They did quantum timing communication services, right? So they've got a really cool capability of entangling photons and pulling a time off of that, so they can synchronize time with entangled photons. Um, real technology, uh, which is kind of crazy to think <laughs> uh, that we're saying this, right? Uh, we yeah. have uh, other companies that are building, um, yeah, Infinite Composites was one that recently closed as well. They built um, tanks, uh, gas tanks for space that were entirely composite materials. So mm -hmm. they, they've they got some really cool technology that's been growing kind of crazy um, over the last uh, uh, really two years, um, just because of this you know, ap appetite for, you know, low mass uh, gas storage, either in space or in rockets that are going to space, you know, essentially anything there. Um, and then uh, we had another company doing compute on orbit, another company doing advanced materials uh, for radiation shielding, which is another thing that's quite important in the, uh, <laughs> in the market where we have, you know, star labs and these other companies, other, um, you know, uh, commercial astronaut space stations kind of coming up. When people normally think about crowdfunding, they think about um, if you invest now at certain level, then you get a discount on whatever widget it is that we're that we're trying to build. Uh, yeah. What is what are the companies that you're working with? How do they entice the investors to come and and invest yeah. in their companies? This is one of the reasons why I don't like using the term crowdfunding in the current market, because you think of Indiegogo or Kickstarter, right? That's, right. 
okay, I get a, I get a widget or whatever, right? I get, I get the thing now. Um, so uh, in the really that, again, that whole regulation name comes from the heyday of, kick, of crowdfunding back in the day when it was a cool, really cool thing. So this is the nature of uh, regulatory bodies in the government. They, t- they tend to be 10 years behind on most things. Um, so with that in mind, you know, we have, um, we have this kind of old terminology. This is actual investment. So while it's a crowd of people uh, giving money, there's actually a, uh, you know, a security document. Uh, you own X percent or you own this money dollars worth of the company when that converts into, you know, a liquidity event, meaning, you know, some, they get bought by another company, they go public or what have you. Right. So you get actual money back or shares back, depending on if they go public, you may get like shares in your, in your brokerage account or what have you. Right. Um, So all that being said, it's it's real ownership stake. Um, So if you go back to the example with Oculus Rift back in the day, who I forget how many, it was like 3000 people or something like that, that put in, a bunch of money for this cool headset. Um, and then a few, I think it was like less than a year, maybe it was, maybe it was less than two years, something like that. Later, the company sells to Facebook for $3 billion, right? <laughs> so all of a sudden, like you can imagine, what if I had not gotten an early Oculus Rift? Because they probably hadn't even gotten their Oculus Rifts at that point. You know how they take long times to get them. Sure. What if I had not gotten access to an early product? What if instead I had been able to have even a small portion of that, I would have gotten a very nice and healthy return, right? My $200 in, you know, investment, that wasn't an investment back then, but investment would have could have turned into potentially something, you know, a hundred X or a thousand X what they had originally put in. So that could have made a lot of, you know, a lot of early adopters quite happy. So yes, that's, that's the difference, right? There's no more widgets. Sometimes, you know, companies can offer stuff with their investment. They, yeah. they have to be careful because there's bribery law, bribery laws. So they can offer like a t-shirt or something, right? But they can't like say, hey, invest in us and we'll give you a car uh, <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> so, um, you know, there is, there are some rules and stuff and regulations. Again, this is part of the regulatory environment of investing in crowdfunding. However, um, so you can do, there are some like, things where it feels like maybe it feels like normal crowdfunding uh, where there's stuff being sent out, but generally you're investing in actual, you know, investment, you're buying an investment. Tell us a little bit about your team, who you're working with. Yeah. So we have uh, a really cool team from all over the place. Uh, You know, we are a remote, mainly remote team. We have, we have a team that's in Brownsville as well. Uh, Brownsville, right, right outside of the star Mm. base there. Uh, It's an exciting place to be. Um, but, uh, yeah, we're kind of all over the place. So we have folks from, um, I, you know, I think they're, I'm a little bit biased, but I think they're some of the best and smartest folks in the industry that are doing some really cool stuff. We've got folks looking for deals. We've got folks, uh, helping us put those companies through the pipeline. You would be absolutely <laughs> shocked to see how long it takes to get a company from, Hey, I would like to raise the platform and we vetted you and you're good to go to actually live. Uh, it can be months and months of work. Lots of not fun work in most cases, a mm-hmm. lot of legal stuff, a lot of compliance stuff. Um, so we have folks doing that and we have folks helping us uh, in a variety of different mechanisms and the marketing angles and things like that as well. So um, yeah, a really strong team uh, doing some really cool stuff. Um, only wish we could have more people all the time, right? But you know, we have to be, we're a business, we have to make money too and, and sure. be cautious of our budgets and all that stuff too. But yeah, um, a lot of fun stuff happening and you know, uh, wish we could just have more people involved. 
One thing more, and we ask this of all of our guests, just to kind of look out into your crystal ball over the next 10 to 15 years in the field of space commerce, you're working with a lot of innovative companies. Tell us what you see. So, you know, over the next, and I, I had this conversation often, right? You know, things that get me really excited 10 years out are, you know, your cis lunar, lunar economies, because there's already people having that. I mean, we know Artemis programs and things like that, but there's awards out there for CLIPS missions and all this other, um, you know, they're kind of the early stepping stones, but there's actually people setting up commercial uh, technologies that can operate in a cis lunar environment. So that's happening. I just got off a call before this with someone doing some really cool stuff there for propulsion technology that can that would need to be done for a cislunar economy. Um, so I think that's really cool in the ten in that ten year space um, as far as like starting to develop. Uh, right now we're already starting to see it's a far more cemented, but it's probably kind of a big opportunity over the next. I think in the five to ten years uh, space is the OSAM market. So the orbital services assembly and manufacturing market. You've got four you know, space stations out there, you got Star Lab and Axiom, they're now, all of them have needs for different variety of interactions, whether that's, you know, a direct service or product or what have you. Um, it, it just facilitates an entirely new requirement for infrastructure on orbit. The more infrastructure that goes up, the more services that are going to be built off of that, the more opportunity that happens. So the OSAM market is probably not as interesting as Mars and the moon, because those are planetary bodies. But um, there, it is probably going to be a massive opportunity, I would, I would suspect, for investors. And those are the things that get, I get excited about in the next five you know, years. Maybe, maybe that pushes to 10 for whatever reason. Um, but then I think you know, Mar, uh, Moon is really the next 10 to 15 and Cislunar at the very least in that time frame. Aaron Burnett is the founder and CEO of Space Ventures. Uh, Aaron, thank you so much for being our guest on the Xterra podcast. Hey, I appreciate for you, uh, you having me, and it's been fun and willing to do it again. All right. We'll, we'll hold you to that. That's going to do it for this edition of the Xterra podcast. Check out our YouTube channel. Be sure to click on subscribe so you can stay up to date on developments in space commerce and be notified when we post new videos. You can also get daily space commerce news at XterraJSC.com. And one thing more, be sure to connect with us on LinkedIn and follow us on Twitter at XterraJSC. Until next time, I'm Tom Patton. Thanks for joining us.